0: I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in, meaning I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animal's Eye View podcast. Depending upon where you are on the planet... You may be going through either the winter solstice, which is what is happening where I am in the Northern Hemisphere. In the Southern Hemisphere, of course, you'd be going through the summer solstice. Up here in the Northern Hemisphere, solstice is officially the first day of winter, although... If you look outside your window, depending upon where you are, certainly you may have already seen winter, aka snow, etc., etc., for quite some time. Typically, it's the 21st, 22nd of December. This year, it happens to fall on December the 21st. And historically, there have been lots of merriment food and drink, at least by the beings in human experience that would accompany the celebration of the shortest day opposite the longest night. And it's interesting because the day after the solstice is when the earth's relationship to the sun shifts ever so slowly towards more light. This was a time when the peoples knew that planting and then harvesting were soon to follow, giving them fresh sustenance for their families. And you might imagine that certainly... I think depending upon what group of peoples we happen to be talking about, maybe they had already uncovered the fact that you could put root vegetables deep down into the earth and they would stay there for an extended period of time and maybe they wouldn't. And I think as well, they would want to send up some thanks and some gratitude Because that's what beings in human experience did and still do. We perceive that there's someone, something, an entity, a being, a deity that we have to make a request of in order for things to go our way. And we've talked about this before as far as the animals saying, what do you mean? It's kind of just up to us and we are, our relationship with the planet and everything flows and everything is fine, et cetera. But I think for original peoples, I think it was a time when the Earth perhaps appeared dead, meaning there was, again, up here in the Northern Hemisphere, typically, and probably rightly so at those points in time, likely different weather patterns and variations. But I think before they began to track the cycles, perhaps of seasons and things like that, maybe there was something in their awareness that said, well, we think that spring and summer are going to come again, but we're not really sure. And so that's when then they might say, well, let's send up some some prayers and make some requests, perhaps even some sacrifices for the arrival of spring and then, of course, summer and fall and harvest. And certainly I think their ability to move about more easily and enjoy literally the fruits of the earth. And so for some humans, rituals of all kinds help to anchor them into the energy that's present and to celebrate being part of a community if if that's what that being in human experience happens to be a part of, and to seek support then from the community. And as well, to have a mirror for the communal shift of a group. Humans being herd animals and all, I think for some of us, it's a comforting thing to be able to gather with people who typically have the same belief system that we have. In this case, it would have been Celebration of what is to come, celebration of, okay, we're making it through winter. We understand that the longest night is going to be followed by an increasing number of days where the light is. And I think for a time there was likely only daylight and night, Fire having come later into the picture between 120 to 700,000 years ago. So when they understood with the passage of time that there was a cycle to the planet's beingness, that was likely worshipped when it was good, and then in some order to make sure it stayed good. I think we've certainly gained in our knowledge of the planet and our cycles, although in some respects I think it's just served to underscore our perceived vulnerability as beings in human experience. Try as we might, we haven't been able to to control weather patterns. And certainly I think if you look outside, if you have lived through any part of your planetary experience thus far at this point in time does seem to be, and science would verify, that our species is absolutely shifting the climate on the planet, not only for ourselves, for all the other beings here. So I'm not so sure that all of this science and technology has really gotten us very far because we seem to kind of tiptoe up to that edge. And then we kind of say, yeah, we're going to set these lofty goals for us. And then we kind of keep on repeating the same mistakes over and over again. At least that's one perspective. And I think as far as celebrations and rituals are concerned, you may very well be a solitary practitioner of all things, energetic rather than group. And your practice may be more introspective and private. Although perhaps howling at the moon, if she is present, may suit you from time to time. I think humans do have a tendency to scrunch ourselves into spaces that don't fit and sometimes itch and scratch, which of course is the body saying, stop the madness. You'll notice that animals don't ever force themselves to do that. And if we try to force that, with them, they'll give us increasing degrees of comfort notifications, ending with final contact with our flesh, i.e. bite, in order to stop the energy. Scenes of reindeer ears and Santa hats come to mind, <laughs> just like if we were talking about Halloween and the costumes. And I would be an advocate of saying, hey, if they like it, if they get a kick out of it, I, I think that's great. It's all about honoring their individual choice and not forcing our choices on them. And yes, even though you think it's just adorable, etc., I would invite you to rethink if they appear uncomfortable with it. And the interesting thing about beings in human experience, we do tend to focus on the night. We tend to associate darkness with evil. All through our belief systems, we have all sorts of worshiping of the light, to a certain extent the solstice, and we're forgetting the gifts that the darkness brings us. Animals have no such mental structures about darkness and evil and shadow. Darkness for them is rest. Darkness for them is the act of creation that takes place in the womb. It is the perfect partner to the light. Humans tend to focus on the light because we fear the dark. I do perceive that that is partly our dual role as both prey and predator hardwiring. And as it is, the dark is simply the opposite of the light. And to a certain extent, it's not really even the opposite. It's just simply the counterbalance to the light. Too much of either causes issues for all beings. And I think to a certain extent, that's where beings in human experience are, that we, we forget to honor the darkness. We forget to have the introspection that comes with the season of winter because we're so focused on, I'm fearful of resonating with the shadow. I'm fearful of resonating with the dark and... It's all about balance on the planet. It's all about reaching beyond the illusion of duality to the place where unity, at least as far as the design on this planet, has to be a composite of opposites and actually in this case of equal partners. The celebration of the ending of the longest night, the solstice, leading into the lengthening of days doesn't mean we fear the darkness less, although it could, it certainly could lead to the space where we do in fact fear it less. And for those animals who are nocturnal to a certain extent, we imbue the night with a negative meaning for them. The really interesting thing about animals that are nocturnal, they have special adaptations. Their eyes, their nose, their ears, all of uh, those adaptations help them to live in the darkness. Dogs and cats as well can see in the darkness and therefore are classified as diurnal animals. In darkness, food is more plentiful. There is less chance for predator activity. During the day when other predators are more active, they are hidden away and they are sleeping. There's some great links I'm going to put for you in the podcast notes. The links are going to be about the solstice and the historical roots of the solstice. There's going to be a link for a list of nocturnal animals, which is certainly more plentiful than the few I'm going to read for you today. There's also going to be a link in there that references what I'm going to talk about just a little bit, which is what what you may have heard of before, the artificial lights that humans put out into the atmosphere affect nocturnal animals. It's really causing them to be pushed out of their normal cycles. Some nocturnal animals include bats. Different kinds of lemurs, an owl, a mouse, badger, gecko, mole salamander, the African hunting dog, the American porcupine, the coyote, (laughs) a.k.a. the prairie wolf. And I did not know it was also called a prairie wolf. And these animals that are nocturnal, they do not see themselves as being evil, just because they happen to do conduct most of their life at night, their bodies are perfectly adapted for getting around in the darkness. They see darkness as their light, if you will. It's the time and place that they are most comfortable. It's what they resonate with most. And because They are a perfect partner for those animals that happen to be opposite them who conduct most of their daily activities out in the light. There's also, they don't cast aspersions on those other animals. They just say, oh, yeah, you're different. You're different than me. I provide a counterbalance to you. You provide a counterbalance to me. That's exactly what makes the world go around. And most definitely, I think our artificial light lighting interrupts nocturnal activity. And that's one of the links that I just referenced. Too much light isn't necessarily a good thing for animals who thrive on darkness. It's our human-centric way of looking at the world. It's our human-centric way of looking at the world and saying, oh my gosh, there's too much darkness here. I need more light in order to be able to see And so we've created these environments where the light is literally poisoning the ecosystems of nocturnal animals because they are comfortable with being who they are and resonating with an environment that supports them in their beingness. All the other animals don't mandate that they live in a different way. And I think certainly with humans, maybe if we had a do-over button, (laughs) I think it would be really interesting to see if we had been able to adapt ourselves to living as the animals live, to live by the light. If there's some things that we were able to do in the darkness that we would adapt ourselves to that without using artificial light. And it's not that I don't have a great deal of compassion for beings or in human experience. That's something that I strive for every day. It's pretty tough on the planet right now, at least for me and maybe for you, to find that place of deep compassion for beings and human experience because we're having a tough go right now. We have created imbalance in the planet, not only climate-wise, but certainly as far as the coronavirus goes. Again, it is only our species that appears to be the sole subject of invitation of rebalance in the planet. That's probably a different way of looking at the coronavirus than you might have heard before. Typically with beings and humans, human experience these days, we think that the coronavirus is attacking us, it's an assault, etc. Our response to that is everything, just like our response to everything else on the planet is also everything. And I think from the animal's perspective, if we could choose to live in harmony with the planet and all of our other beings and not mandating that they conform to live as we live, I think that's a really interesting and provocative way to think about it. We don't have to, we don't have to move mountains and take down electrical grids or things like that. It's starting with the small things. It is resonating more with animals in the wild with whom we happen to be sharing and frankly co-opting their physical space. It's understanding that the meaning behind the solstice doesn't need to be one based in fear. It can be a celebration of gratitude. Thank you for everything that the darkness teaches us. Thank you for the deep introspection that we've been offered. And understanding that that introspection is available to us every single moment We don't necessarily need these external rituals and ceremony to access that. Because, of course, the animals don't create rituals and ceremonies for the solstice and honoring the cycles of the planet. They are just simply one with her all of the time. At least, that's how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review if you're so inspired and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.lazannflynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I invite you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events such as new classes and online psychic fairs. And as I do this quarterly, to coincide with the solstices and the equinoxes, I will be putting out a quarterly newsletter on or about December the 21st, 2020. This has been the Animals Eye View podcast. I'll see you next time.